My guest today is Connie Rose. Connie is a happiness and addiction coach who helps people have empowered relationships with themselves, people, food, and substances, and become free without necessarily having to go sober forever. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. Hello, Connie Rose. How are things? Great. Thank you, Doug. (laughs) How are you? I'm good. It's nice to see you. So you are a world traveler, and currently I think you said you were in Austin, Texas. Is that correct? That's correct. Wow. So are you are you a Texonian? No. I thought I detected some sort of accent there. I thought maybe it was a Texas. <laughs> That's right. That's right. No. Um <laughs> I I'm, I've been nomadic now for three years. So I've been moving around. Um so next tomorrow I'm going to Peru for a whole month. Wow. Peru? Yeah. And what will you be doing in Peru? Well, being a coach. <laughs> Um, just living life and um, and my best friend is going to join me for two weeks and um, it's a place I've always wanted to go so we're going to go to all the sites you know Machu Picchu the Rainbow Mountains etc. That sounds great so that is one of the amazing things about being a coach isn't it is that you can actually do it from anywhere. Yeah yeah it's given me such freedom in my life because I used to be a full-time artist and now that I'm a digital nomad, it's just given me so much freedom to move around. Yeah, unless you are, I suppose, a digital artist, it's hard to be a painter, you know, and travel <laughs> very much because you need a studio and they are heavy and things. Yeah, right. So you are you are a painter, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I nice. said, and you are no longer a painter. I am. I am still. I'll always be an artist. Um, but now I realize that my main mission in life and my highest purpose is to help people directly with my voice and it's funny because I used to think that being an artist was my highest thing Mm -hmm. until I had the epiphany that I should help people and then went through the training with you and um, and then now I'm just fully living my purpose and life mission and I feel so much more alive and free and more abundant and um just my whole I'm able to be so much more productive every day because I'm fueled by helping people more directly and it's my it's the thing I know I'm meant to be doing like the highest thing yeah wow that's that's brilliant so we we could have a whole conversation of just about that that's that's wonderful Cool. I'm so glad that that's happening for you. Tell me how that happened for you. Because, you know, you can see in my background that I am a piano player. I still play the piano, but that was what I did for a long time was playing the piano and teaching piano and that sort of thing. And I thought that was kind of why I was here. And somewhere along the way, it changed. And I started, you know, doing this as my thing. And, And it's worked out quite well. And I interestingly got a thank you note today from a client I've worked with years ago this came out of the blue it came into like a printed thing in my mailbox and Andrew's 
I won't say his name <laughs> more than that. <laughs> this wonderful thing to get. And it's, it's, it just says, isn't it, that when we find that purpose in life, that, you know, to use your voice, to be able to speak with people, then to listen with people, to become a way that you can really be a helper for people. It's a, it's a good thing to discover. How did that happen for you? How did you discover this? Well, um, I had gone through a lot of addictions in my life. And Mm. then I first got sober when I was in my early 20s. I'm now in my early 30s. And I, um, during my sobriety, I developed another addiction, which was bulimia. Um, because I hadn't, I realized now, I didn't realize then, but I wasn't doing the deep inner work and I wasn't getting to the root cause of the addiction. I was just making myself sober, right? Stopping the outside thing rather than the inside thing. Mm. Wow. And, um, and so I, because I was in such a dark place, I went to get therapy and my therapist thankfully um was a meditation teacher and he had like he'd lived in an ashram for seven years and at that time meditation wasn't like as big as it is now right and um but I'd always wanted to learn to meditate and then so he taught me to meditate and then he suggested that I go and do a vipassana which is a 10-day silent meditation in and I went and I so I went and did that in Cambodia And that just taught me so much about myself and my mind. And, um, and then I set that sort of launched me off onto this path of self growth and self discovery. And the things that I learned over the years, I started, my life started to improve so much. And then I found Tony Robbins. And then I went to one of his, um, four day three three or four day seminars and um I had a moment there of like epiphany and vision where I was just like I think I'm meant to be on that stage <laughs> like helping people inspiring people and then I went to a Tony Robbins meetup group and you were there and you and you were offering NLP training and um and then I went through the training with you and I didn't realize how much the actual training was gonna do good for me like Mm -hmm. and and I was recently watching the back the videos because I was used I wanted to refresh on one of the techniques I use with clients and I was in shock like how different I am now compared to then and just like wow back then I was still I still thought addiction was forever back then Mm. um and I was still really struggling and not knowing why like um I just kept like trying getting a little bit ahead and then going back and just like that like frustration with growth and life and being in control of my decisions and um yeah and then um, and then through the training, uh, I learned a lot and then I continued getting more, going to different teachers, like finding out different ways to heal myself. And, and then I started coaching part-time and then I became a full-time coach at the beginning of the pandemic. 
and um and that's when I like really went for it and started putting myself more out on social media and using my voice way more um and and then uh yeah making a lot of videos I make a lot of TikTok videos now and uh I have my own podcast and you know I do a lot of on Instagram etc and it's just completely different and my life now and and there's really nothing like when you see someone transform like under your guidance um and uh yeah it's just like my life is completely different now and it's I'm truly truly happy and fulfilled and there's just yeah it's just amazing That's great. What a great story. And it's amazing to me because you are such a great artist. I mean, I remember seeing some of your paintings and thought, oh, my God, this this woman is a very talented person. Um, I mean, they were really great. So it's, it's, it's interesting that a person can, you know, it, it certainly would be a convincing argument to say, no, you must do this because you're so good at it. You know, you're so good at it, whether it's music or art or anything else. Um, and yet, there may be, in fact, a, a higher calling than that. And you had to go through a lot of work, inner work and struggle and strife. I mean, that NLP program we did was a, a few years ago. Um, you know, it was when you're still in your early, tw- late 20s, I think, wasn't it? No, I'm, I'm, I'm 34 now. But yeah, I, I start, I've been on this path for nearly 10 years now. Okay, wow, yeah. Cool. Great. So, yes, and... You are also said you're using your voice. Tell us about that. Yeah, I so I mean, I I think that I think I meant to be using my voice because I I started when I when I was in my teens. I thought I was going to be an actress or a director, and I went to theatre school like on the weekends. And then I I'd always been very good at art, and then I decided to do my gap year go to art school just for fun and then when I was in art school I was like oh this is where I belong and then I followed that path and I got really good at it (laughs) I like um, had a lot of success and but the thing was there was just something that happened during that process of growth I went through where I was like wow if I knew all of this that I had learned I would have not had to struggle for so long And there's key things that I teach that I don't see other people teaching about, especially about addiction and how to heal bulimia and, and, and have a healthy relationship with food, alcohol, people, substances, etc. That um, that I am like, there's just this massive fire inside me that I have to use my voice to tell people this because it's just so important. And I know it can change, change people's lives. So um, I've actually rewritten the 12 steps and um, I am this year launching the new, the new 12 steps. And I have a process that I take people through that gets to the root cause of the addiction rather than just making people be sober because in the 12 steps currently, um, if you go to like an AA meeting or whatever you, mm-hmm. you start off the meeting by um confirming your identity as an addict right. and i obviously you and i went through this with the nlp training mm-hmm. it's like you, the identity uh, your identity is the pinnacle of change right so 
if every meeting you're starting off going, hi, I'm Jenny and I'm an addict, you are just telling yourself that. And the danger with that, with I found personally, and I've seen in other people, is that when you believe that and you believe that you haven't got control mm-hmm. and that you never will have control, if you do happen to have that one drink or whatever, then you there's a high possibility that you will go to the extreme. Right. That is what I did. And that can obviously be life-threatening and it can ruin your life if you have that belief. And like what I know now about the mind and beliefs, like beliefs really do shape your reality. Mm-hmm. And um, so that in combination with the actual getting to the root cause rather than just sobriety, because sobriety just kind of, in my opinion, puts the, a Band-Aid on it. It's a plaster on it and it's not getting to the actual issue. Wow, that's great. So, wow, wow. We need more than one <laughs> conversation here. You've rewritten the 12 steps. That's impressive. We have had those conversations because in NLP, we talk about the logical levels of NLP and at the highest logical level are beliefs that you have about your identity. And so that if I say I am an addict or I am anything, that's like everything else has to be in alignment with that in order for me to you know be congruent with my belief system. So that's really interesting that you you just say like well let's not say that you know say what, what do you say instead is something is there anything that you do say, um, hi I'm Jenny and I I used to give my power away to said addiction and now uh-huh. I'm learning to regain my power nice yeah because the whole thing that I'm changing about the twelve steps is that we have the power inside us and that we can be the master of our mind. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's, it's a really pretty simple idea, really, but I think the best idea of our. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's, it's an also a very interesting thing. The thing about the 12 steps, of course, is a lot of times they're free, you know, it's free to go to an AA meeting. So free is good. Um, doesn't necessarily mean that something that was codified a hundred years ago is necessarily going to be the best thing that we should still be doing a hundred years later, necessarily. Um, it's worked for a lot of people, obviously, and that's been a wonderful thing. People should still do it if they are involved. And maybe there is, in fact, something we can do to make it even better. And I, I, that's just beautiful. You're using your experience to say, okay, where has this worked? Where has this not worked? How do we make it better? I'm also curious about this because in the um, podcast that we are in here, the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, we want to find out the answer to two questions. One is how do you, what, what, what do you conceive to be an essential coaching skill to be a great coach? And the other one is how do you put yourself out there to get clients so that you can make a living as a coach? And I'm just really interested in what you were talking about. I've never made a TikTok video (laughs) ever of any kind. Um, You're doing that for business purposes? Yeah, yeah, but also it there's what I love about TikTok is mm-hmm. that you get immediate reward in that um there's a lot of people that thank you like directly like immediately. It's a mm-hmm. more uh, but generally if you put stuff out on the internet like with just a helpful message you never know how one person is just going to hear that one sentence and it's just going to something's going to click for them. Mm. And so it's not about 
necessarily about the payment or the future business you're going to get you just I personally know that I'm I'm getting I'm helping people someone and there's that possibility of helping someone and I think for business for creating a business Mm -hmm. because I'm quite consistent with the videos that I make and the content I put out there I put out a lot of content um if someone sees you repeatedly and then they they get to like you're in their mind a lot and then like you're when they are going through something you'll be at the forefront of their mind because they've been watching your videos so much and they've been watching your content and I think it's what's been helpful for me is have like fresh content my my own content I don't like I use I on Instagram I do um share other people's content sometimes but mostly it's my my own my own content it's definitely always my own videos and I just love doing it I think not everyone is a, a speaker or whatever but I personally yeah I love doing that and it's yeah it's I've attracted clients that way oh, that's great so which which of the social medias are you involved in uh tiktok uh, all of them really um yeah mm-hmm. facebook instagram tiktok youtube and all podcasts and all podcasts yeah my i've got a podcast called help me i'm human which i'd love you to be on it's uh and it's on all platforms okay tell me the name of it again help me i'm human help me i'm human okay cool and and are, is is there a YouTube channel? I mean, how does that work for you? You can find me everywhere at Connie Rose Coaching. At Connie Rose Coaching. Yeah. Cool. Connie Rose Coaching. Nice. Yeah. Cool. So that's pretty amazing. I mean, the it seems to me that that's kind of a, a audacious thing to do to say I'm going to rewrite the twelve steps. You know, because it's that's just sort of a Bible, you know, for a lot of people, the 12 steps. It was codified a long time ago by Bill. And I believe if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, Carl Jung was part of the process of creating those things. He's no slouch, Carl Jung, um, you know, of Jungian psychology. So, you know, where do you get off, young lady? Where do you get off rewriting these 12 steps, huh? Well, one of, one of the things that, you asked what was essential for a coach. And I, I think it's not always essential, but I think it really helps if you have your own personal experience. Mm. And I, um, I studied at, I did, I studied at Stanford, the psychology of addiction and recovery. And I came top in the class with mm. 98.3%. Wow. And I, I, I got actually got a hundred percent on all modules apart from the first one. And one of the things of, that I think allowed me to get that high mark, and I was actually disagreeing with some of the, or challenging the concepts, right? And I still came out with that high mark um, because my arguments were very solid. And um, I was one of the few people in the class that had actually been an addict mm-hmm. um, and had transformed myself. And so... I, I noticed looking at the answer, the, you know, the papers of other students that I was like, oh, you, you don't know what an addict is like. And because I, I've been through it mm. and now like helping so many other addicts not be addicts, like I've got my own um, social proof now as well. 
and I just know I just some things you just know and it's confirmed with other other big teachers like uh Joe Dispenza talks about um like the power of your mind and like many other teachers talk about the power of your mind and I've just applied it to addiction that's great yes well having been to a an uh, a a meeting a anonymous meeting i've been i've been to a few uh for things like that so i, I perhaps yeah i know what you're talking about yeah, um, i also went i did go through the 12 steps additionally yeah, yeah. i went to aa i went to ma for marijuana and mm-hmm. uh, yeah i went to a few a's so yeah cool you know, it's interesting. My, I had a teacher named Dave Dobson once. We talked about him in a couple of the previous podcasts who is um, a great hypnotist, but he always used to say that he would not work with a person until they were able to at least once go to an AA meeting and say, you know, I'm an, I'm an addict and I'm powerless to change this thing. He, he wanted them to have at least had that experience once before he would work with them. I don't think he required that they keep going, however. He, he wanted them to be able to sort of start from that place where it goes like, okay, sh- yeah, okay, I'm an addict. Yeah. Now, how do I get past that? You know, but he wanted to start that so that you get off that denial thing. You know, the old joke about denial is not just a river in Egypt. You know, he actually used that joke, Dave Dobson. Was, I mean, he had no, no, no shame. He used the oldest jokes in the world. Um, <laughs> Denial's not just a river in Egypt. Nevertheless, it, it was interesting to me that he, he required people to say, I have at least once in my lifetime gone to that place where I can say, I'm an addict and I'm powerless against this addiction. You know, and I need, need help. They needed to be able to get to that place so that they can then get past that. Do you agree with that? Well, I, I think I, I, I agree with that. It's you need to get to the point where you accept that you are giving your power away. But I think there's a real distinction there where you said um, he wanted people to say, I am powerless. No, you're not powerless. You are giving your power away. And there, there, and there, is, a, there is an element of control that you have with that. And what I do suggest for um, most people is to go through a period of sobriety first before they start having that healthy relationship with whatever they found addictive because the brain um, needs to reset its dopamine levels. Mm-hmm. And then when that's done, whilst that's being done, you can do that, that deep inner trauma work and get to the root cause and the reasons what made you made that person an addict in the first place. And then what I do is I rewire their brain after that with empowering beliefs because the, the, the mind will do what you tell it essentially. Cool. So how do you do the first part? I mean, if a person is addicted, basically, <laughs> how, do you, how do you say, okay, let's just go through a period of sobriety. Uh, how do you just, just, white knuckle it how do you get them to do that period of sobriety well there's many different techniques but I would start with like hypnosis and uh, we'll mainly start with the conversations and then do some techniques like I bring in lots of different techniques depending on the person but if I'm in a group setting like 
it's you know more group group way. But I use different techniques like hypnosis, um, uh, EFT tapping, um, NLP, obviously, um, meditation. Um, yeah, lots, lots, lots of different things. Okay, cool. But yeah, and then you when you before when you said and you have them create a healthy relationship with the substance that they used to be addicted to or whatever it was um substance or behavior that they used to be addicted to um when you say healthy relationship do you mean that they could like an alcoholic could have alcohol could they could drink a bit or yeah yeah because that that's that's what i'm doing that's different because i'm saying no you're not an alcoholic forever you don't have to be and sobriety can be a choice. Like, I think it's much more powerful to choose to be sober rather than think you need to be. And to be able to actually, if you want, have a glass of champagne at a wedding or whenever, right? Or okay. whatever you drink. What if the uh, substance involved is not so socially acceptable what if it's like uh, cocaine or heroin or something that yeah. I'm so, I don't, so I do think there are some limitations like I'm not saying you can you, let's go and use heroin again or crack like that so I do think there's a difference I'm just saying you don't have to be entirely sober with okay. everything forever with everything necessarily forever I got it cool I think that's very exciting work it's really very very exciting work that's that's wicked cool and I love how it's coming out of, you know, your own life story, really. You know, you're, you're taking these things that were, you know, and this, this happens so often in the stories of a person's life. You know, you, you're taking the thing that was a, a challenge for you, might have even killed you, and yet it became the thing that was the building block for a whole, you know, new life for yourself and for many other people that are positively influenced because of your, your work. Yeah. And the thing is, like, if I had heard someone, whenever anyone said, oh, come on, you can have a little bit or you don't always have always have to be like sober. I used to get really angry at them because I didn't want that to like infiltrate my beliefs because I, mm -hmm. I was starting to learn about beliefs. But I didn't I didn't I would get really angry at that kind of thought. And I actually looked looked over some a hypnosis recording that I had made for myself. Mm hmm um uh and i was actually one of the lines is something along the lines of um uh you know that you, you know that you can never um smoke weed again or have a drink again because you've tried this for 14 years with no and every time it goes wrong so you know um stay away from it basically like so i was basically even like hypnotizing myself to believe that even more and so it did take some work to undo that mm -hmm. to sort of collapse that belief and rewire in a new new one that's great so how do, what do you envision for your future do you envision yourself having a, a centers where people can come for this kind of work yeah yeah i do I um I mean I'm not entirely sure exactly how it's all going to look. I just and that's one of the things that I decided recently that 
just because I don't know exactly how something's going to look doesn't mean I shouldn't start and get going with it because if not, it's never going to happen. I've been talking about the 12 steps for over a year and not really done that much about it. And then the past weekend, I um, did my own solo meditation retreat for three days where I did techniques as well. So I actually did some like NLP techniques and hypnosis on myself. And it was just very clear that this is the time and I need to really go for it because I've already had success with individuals and now I just need to make it more wide world. But um, yeah, I see myself on stage talking to lots of different people, but giving people the techniques and tools so they're not bound by this forever. (laughs) And centers would be good too, but it's, yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of the rehab system I don't think is I think that needs updating as well so that's all part of it yeah I concur uh, yes I've been to a few rehab centers not as an inmate but as a as a advisor and you know, speaker from time to time and yeah most of all if not all need some uh, updating I think this is a uh, very exciting work that you're doing tell me tell me this H- how is it that you I think very differently than most people I've ever met are able to create these weekends for yourself, this type of thing that you just described for yourself. I've known NLP trainers who rarely do any NLP for themselves or on themselves. And and I think like you really should. (laughs) I really think some of these folks really should use the skills that they have, that they use so elegantly on other people. Use the mind yourself, buddy, you know, because they're, they're not. And there's, there's things they need to, you know, fix. And yet you, since I've known you, do this stuff. You don't just learn about it. I mean, granted, yes, you're right. Throughout the NLP trainings, when we do the trainings, we, we practice them on each other. So you learn a process, we do it with each other. And so there's always that happening. People always change a lot, grow a lot, learn a lot in a, you know, 12 week, 14 week training, whatever it might be, um, 14 weekends, which is what my class was, but you took it outside of the class. You, you went for it and you just really, you know, go on, create these weekends for yourself, a silent meditation, silent meditation for yourself. You'd go off into the woods somewhere or Machu Picchu or whatever you were doing. You would do like these crazy things. What, what is it about you that, is that I mean how does that how does it work well I would say I've always been someone that wants to take action and like I have a drive for improving and learning and growth like growth is one of my highest things that is always at the forefront I'm all I think life is about growth so I'm always and I want to always want to improve I always want to be a better coach a better person and a better better self a better someone who's more able to give to the world and if I'm not doing the stuff myself then what the hell am I doing that's Mm. my opinion and I use NLP all the time and I think just the way like the simple things of just thinking differently and like reframing things I'm always reframing things and because I've been reframing things so much it's just become the way I think and like I and also the meditation practice I've been meditating nearly every day for nearly a decade now 
So, and because I've gone off and done um, those 10 day silent meditations, that takes incredible, it teaches you to be disciplined and it teaches you to have, and but often, yeah, you're right. I mean, a lot of people think it's crazy that I've done that on my own. I have done a 10 day silent meditation by myself. And then because I saw how much I gained from that. I actually healed my hands from doing that. That's why I, I was forced to do that. Um, because I, that's a whole nother podcast probably, but um, that, <laughs> that's like how briefly, how um, I couldn't use my hands for a very long time. Um, and I got told I had repetitive strain injury. And then I got, uh, then I had this moment where I was like, oh my God, am I never going to be able to paint again? Because I wasn't a coach back then. And then I found that this article talking about this book by Dr. Sarno called The Mind-Body mm-hmm. Connection or Prescription, um, where it talks about how the, the mind can create a physical pain to distract you from the real emotional pain you're feeling, mm. that you're suppressing. Mm. So what I did, because I couldn't get to a Vipassana place in time, I created my own so I wrote down all the things that had been bothering me in my life and then I meditated on them and I let all the emotion come out as the observer. And then by day eight, I was pain-free deadlifting in the gym. And before that, I wasn't able to use my hand for months and months. And so that was a massive transformation I went through in that. And then so every, any chance I get when I'm living by myself um, I, and I've got like a, a weekend or three or four days, Mm-hmm. I will do this. So I did this a lot in the pandemic and I just went through so much growth and it was so incredible. And then just this past weekend, I had this house to myself. Um, so, and I had th- three days um, spare, so I did it and it was amazing. But I, what I did is I, I made it my own. So in a Vipassana, you can't, you're not meant to write anything or watch anything, but I know that when you're in that, when you when you calm your mind and you're in a very like you haven't got the outside distractions about anything when you do have one thing come in that thing is much more powerful Mm. um so when I did the original one in New York to heal my hands I I listened to that the audiobook of by Dr Sarno um and that I knew because I knew that that would imprint more powerfully and so that's what I did this past three days. I listened to specific teachers, but only if I meditated many hours during the day. But I also did like, I started off with getting out the gunk by doing some hypnosis processes. Then I meditated some more. Then I listened to specific teachings. And then I ended it with an NLP process um, of like timeline ma- mapping. Wow. <laughs> because I'm, I'm, also I'm, test, I'm also testing out ways that I'm going to take other people through retreats no no I get it I get it yeah I, yes I I've I've done things like those but not to that extent and certainly not often on as often as you have or by myself for 10 days sort of thing I, I just am reminded of I I did do a, a vision quest up in the mountains of um the stone mountains and the stone mountains, no, the white mountains of New Hampshire. And, um, and, you know, it's a three days solo thing up there. And 
and, and another friend who was going to go, but he couldn't go. And so he just stayed in New York and did it in New York. He just said, I don't have to travel to New Hampshire to do this. I'll just do it in my apartment. So he, you know, created a, you know, a medicine wheel within his, you know, little studio apartment floor and just turned the phone off and, you know, stayed in that circle for three days and had an amazing experience right there in his apartment in, in uh, Greenwich Village or wherever it was. Yeah, that's where I did. That's where I did my th- first um, 10 day silent meditation by myself. I did it in my studio apartment in New York City in Manhattan. Right. I was like, you can get you can get you can remember, like, you know, you can get enlightened anywhere. I'm not yeah. enlightened, but you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I know what you mean. No, it just reminds me of back in 2000, a, a man named Paul Winter. Uh, was doing this concert for the, the changing of the millennium. And, uh, you know, he's a saxophone player who used to do, the, you know, duets with Timberwolves out in the Rockies, or he did duets with, you know, humpback whales. He'd be in this little boat and he'd be out in the ocean and play these things and the whales would, you know, jam with him, you know? So, so when he did this, this concert for, uh, for nature, for the, the the world at the millennium. I just was wondering where was he going to do it? He did it in Times Square. And I thought that was amazing because, you know, this is the earth too. And wherever you go is here. My friend Dan Millman always likes to say, you know, this is here and now this is, it's always here. It's always now, you know, so be here now at this very moment. And, and you can have, this same experience wherever you are yeah but but again i don't know too many people that do that so i'm so impressed I, i'm often <laughs> meditating i know I, I would i would meditate on the subway or in ubers or just wherever i mean that's the real training when you can be when you can find peace anywhere mm. and also what i found is that now even when like a family, me- I went back to visit family and one family member was very, in a very traumatic state, shall we say, mm-hmm. yeah. and was hurling abuse at me and like the most vicious things because they know me. Um, <laughs> like, that, because when a fam- obviously when someone knows you, they yeah, can yeah. try to cut deep to you. And these are things that would have really cut me in the past, but I, because of all my training, I was able to create a blissful experience in my body. And in that moment, while they were cursing me, send them love and like change my physical state in that moment. I did feel some of the impact, but it def- it would, I literally did feel some bliss and some, you know, and true love at that moment. So wow. that's the power of the mind when you train yourself. Now that is, and that is a great test. I remember, I don't, I don't know who I'm quoting right now, but I remember some, you know, somewhat enlightened person saying, well, if you think you're enlightened, go home and spend a weekend with your family. It was <laughs> you know? um, uh, Ram, uh, Ram Das. Ram Das. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And then, so every time that is my test because I travel so much. So every time I go back when they haven't really changed very much, um, or at all, or they've got worse. <laughs> I I'm able to see how I have changed because time, so much time has passed, and I'm like, oh, yeah. it's getting easier. Yeah, no, and that was you know speaking of Tony Robbins back in the day when I first started learning about NLP 
30, 40 years ago, whatever that was. Um, he was an NLP trainer at that time. I remember doing lots of amazing change work while we were, you know, out in Hawaii or whatever, and then coming back and boy, all the anchors of, of, of being home, you know, would just sort of drag you back to the old patterns of ways of being. It was really hard to overcome that. So it's uh, yeah, good test. Good test. Wow. Connie Rose, this is amazing. What a great, <laughs> this is so inspiring. Um, so what is what is an essential skill for, for you? I mean, I've, you're telling us a lot of what you've done to get to where you are in order to do what you're doing in the world. What, if a person is just starting off in coaching, if a person is just like sort of saying, I, I want to be a coach, I want to be that person up on the stage or talking with this group of people. What, what do you think is like an essential skill that they must have in order to be, you know, good as a coach, you know, to help other people get to where they want to go in life as a coach? What, what's an essential skill for that? I think there's a number of essential skills, but I would say actually to understand your own mind first. And I think a brilliant way to do that is to go and do a Vipassana or to like really meditate, but especially in a Vipassana, because I remember coming out of the first one thinking, wow, I can't believe that there are psychologists who haven't done this Mm -hmm. because it really gets you to understand how mad you are (laughs) like because you get to really see your thoughts and the workings of your brain and mind in a way that like I never did before I mean maybe it's maybe it's I don't I can't see how it's possible if you don't meditate but maybe that's just because I'm coming from my own perspective Mm. um but yeah I would say that and obviously compassion and um because I I was really shocked to hear of someone I, I heard someone say, a client, not my client, but someone say that their therapist had said that they felt really disapproving of them or something. They were really disappointed in them or like they really disappointed them or something. It was something like that. But I was like, wow, like, uh, or, or that they were doing things wrong. Or, or it was, it was, I can't remember exactly, but it was like, I, whenever I think, I think one of the things that, makes me a good coach is that I'm able to accept someone as they turn up and if someone is wanting to change I don't care what they've done or how bad it is as long as they want to change because I genuinely see us all as one and I I I think like it doesn't matter what your past is as long as you you want to change and you're here now and um and yeah, I, I believe in the goodness of people. I think that's an essential thing. Well, to be so it's an essential key yeah. to have a belief in the goodness, essential goodness of people. Uh, yeah, and to have that compassion with people and to, yeah. and to, and to believe that they can change. For the people that don't know what a Vipassana is, what, what, what are you describing there? Right, so it's a, it's a 10-day silent meditation. It's free, so it's just by donation. It happens, they happen all over the world. And um, I actually would do it slightly differently again because <laughs> that's why I do my own retreats because I've changed it slightly. Um, but it's still an amazing place to start. Um, and basically, it's 10 days of silent meditation. It's about, uh, I think, eight hours of meditation a day. Where, and there's no no... 
no internet, no phones, no writing, no reading, no eye contact. Um, and it's very disciplined meditation where you um, become aware of the sensations on your body. And when you become really present with the sensations on your body, the theory is that trauma and old emotions will come to the surface of your mind and physically. And then you just sit there and just accept them and watch them, observe them. And when you do that, you realize that everything passes and everything is in constant change. When you know things are in constant change, that means that you have control over your your presence and how you feel because you know everything changes. So like a craving, for example, you take the skills of the the, Vipassana, the craving comes and you've got the skills that you know everything passes and you can be present with your feelings. You can just observe it. It teaches you to become the observer. And when you are the observer of life, that changes everything. And it also unlocks the deeper answers to the universe and existence. So little things like that. Yeah, small, small things. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> All right, I'll I'll do that. I've, <laughs> I mean, I, no, I don't think I will. But wow, I mean, they're free all over the world, huh? I will I will look for one. See uh, see what's involved. But that observer position thing is something that I actually do do a lot with my. I don't do meditation per se. I do self hypnosis on a pretty much regular basis. And I do the what has been referred to as the Betty Erickson special and just get into that place where I'm observing the world around. I don't do it for eight hours a day for 10 days without any eye contact or anything. 10 minutes, maybe I'll do it. But but nevertheless, it's good. <laughs> hey, something better than nothing, definitely. <laughs> I can I can barely even imagine doing what you've descri- described for for ten days. Well, I know that even just the the three days that I did, just to like turn everything off, um, even in the first day, I get profound insights and realizations, and just like it's a deep clearing process because you're settling the mind. Yeah. So we we are so everything's habit, right? Everything's like we're so programmed to be and like we can so many of us just without thinking we go to pick up the phone and check our phone or, oh absolutely like, or check the app without even thinking um yeah. and it's when you leave that then you get a chance to really listen and when you're really listening to yourself you can hear truth of yourself your soul and what i believe you know the universe and god if you want to no, oh, no, I do. When when I um, did my vision quest in New Hampshire, you know, I sat in a six foot round circle for for three days, basically. But it wasn't a disciplined meditation. But I was the only one around for miles, so it was um, there was no eye contact. There were no phones. There were no books. There was no writing. So I certainly appreciate what happens with your perceptions when that goes on. And it was fascinating to me how many times throughout the day I thought, well, I'm hungry because it's noon or uh, I should should be eating because it's 
getting dark now. So, you know, these triggers that happen and I'm in the middle of the woods and yet I was getting all these triggers that obviously were just coming from inside me, but there's so many things that we are just, you know, click were kind of critters, you know, this little stimulus response thing happens and to be in that observer position, I, I have gotten there, not for 10 days, but still I have gotten there and I know what it is that you're talking about. And it, to be able to be able to be in the place where you can be part of it and apart from it at the same time, mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. is a really strong, powerful place to be coming from. Yeah. There's a great book called the untethered soul. Mm, yes. Um, and that talks yeah. a lot about that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, nice. Well, I'm going to thank you for being here. And um, gosh, I sure would like to have you back because this is so much to talk about. Wow. I will look forward to your book about the new 12 steps. When will that be coming out? I don't know about the book, but <laughs> I'm definitely going to write a few books. I mean, I, I feel like I wrote, or I did basically wrote a book this past weekend with the notes that I took, but yeah. Right. <laughs> Thank you so much. I love being on, on, on your podcast. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for joining me. If you want any more information about today's show, please visit our website at www.essentialcoachingskills.com. Be sure to tune in again next week for our next episode and discover even more about the systems and the secrets that set the best apart.